Hello and welcome to the first episode of Political Inquiry. We are a podcast put on by the Michigan Gailey, which is an LGBTQ plus news publication at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor about queer issues as they pertain to local politics in Michigan. My name is Blake Bile. I'm a current senior studying political science and writing at the university. And today we are joined by current State House Representative Lori Pohutsky of the 17th House District and current candidate for Michigan's new 19th House District. In this episode, we will be talking about Lori's background, her journey into office, how she's dealt with homophobic opposition, and the November elections. Before we get started, I would just like to thank our sound producer, Elena Mann, our script supervisor, Jackie Moreno, and our social media slash graphics director, Atticus Spicer, for their contributions on this episode. Without further ado, please enjoy. Lori, thank you so much for, for being here and joining us. Thank you for having me. I do want to start with a little introduction of yourself. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about sort of um, your your background, um, how you got into politics, um, and sort of your your journey to office? Yeah, of course. Uh, So I grew up in Redford, which is just outside of uh, Detroit, and also right next door to my current district is in the new 17th, though, so I'm glad that I can be uh, running to represent my hometown. You lucked out there, right? <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, redistricting treated me kindly. Um, but I uh, went, sorry, in advance. I went to MSU for college. Yeah, okay. um, <laughs> and that's where I really got involved in activism, mainly through the Gay Straight Alliance. Um, I got my degree in microbiology, uh, was a microbiologist up until Well, I mean, I I was up until I I took office, but in 2016, after uh, Donald Trump got elected, uh, frankly, I I just got pissed off. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I had still been involved in different activist groups, but it just felt like it wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. And I was also in a position where I was really fortunate. Uh, it, It takes a lot of time and energy and money to campaign. And I was very privileged to be in a place where I could do that. Um, I didn't tell my employer that I was running for office until I won my primary, uh, but they were really, really supportive. That's so awesome. yeah, no, and, and a lot of people aren't. So I was really, really lucky in that regards. Um, but the district that I was running to represent had been historically Republican held. Nobody really thought that we could flip it. Um, I mean, the people there knew, but you know, kind of the, the people who make decisions thought it was a, a long shot to mm-hmm. say the least. Um, had a really competitive primary, won that by nine and a half points. The general was brutal, uh, but we won it by 0.4%. So still a win, right? Exactly. Exactly. But so I I ran uh one because I was horrified at the thought of what could potentially happen under the Trump administration and ultimately did in a lot of cases happen under the Trump administration and had just wanted to get more involved and looking at the things that I was concerned about. And also, frankly, uh, the things that I knew my community was concerned about running for the state legislature was really the best place. And that, that is one thing that I tell people when they say that they're thinking about running for office, take a minute to figure out where it is you want to run. Uh, Cause like, you know, municipal government and, you know, local government, is tremendously important, but if that's not where you think your uh, expertise is going to be, or if you don't think that that's 
the the type of policy you want to impact, then then don't do that. Don't run for something just because you want a title next to your name. Go where you actually think you're going to make the most impact. So that's how that decision kind of came to be. Okay. Okay. So for you coming from that science background, what was kind of the few things in particular that really made you want to run and really made you think I can contribute in this area? Sure. Uh, environmental legislation was one, you know, there were uh, a lot of rollbacks of environmental protections, uh, you know, prioritizing corporations over environmental integrity, uh, as well as reproductive rights. You know, I mean, that was something that we knew was going to get rolled back because there had been, you know, at that point, a 45 year plan to do exactly that. Mm -hmm. So we saw the writing on the wall. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously not really wearing my, my scientist hat, but obviously LGBTQ protections, Absolutely. you know, I, I don't think that very many of us believed Donald Trump when he said that wasn't something he was interested yeah. in interfering with. Um, yep. So, you know, I mean, there were both because of my profession and also just because of my lived experience, mm -hmm. there were a select number of things that I was very, very concerned with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, the immediate uh, ban on immigrants being able to enter the country was horrifying. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it was it was a professional calculation, but also just me being terrified that, you know, I mean, my rights, but also the rights of people I cared about and mm -hmm. people I loved uh, were were going to be trampled on and ultimately were and yeah. very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember um, being in high school. I was I was a sophomore um, in 2016 and um, I had uh, an English teacher who was also queer, one of my only allies at school. I went to school um, kind of in the base of the thumb, so very conservative, very, very white, very Protestant. Um, and I remember her coming in the next day after he was elected and just kind of being inconsolable. And and at that time, I didn't really know what the impact of him being elected were going to be because, um, you know, I don't really think anyone really knew. He's kind of, mm -hmm. uh, for lack of better words, just kind of like a shot off the wall. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, you don't know what he's going to do. Um, but my point is that, you know, even growing up and seeing these things happen, it affected my view towards politics and, and obviously why I ended up getting into politics. When you were getting into politics, how did your sexuality influence kind of the way you went around or about campaigning? Um, sort of advertising, quote unquote, advertising yourself, you know, how did that, how did that influence? Yeah. I mean, I had been out since I was 19 years old. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the people in my life already knew. Uh, but at the time I was also married to a straight dude. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was this weird balancing act of, you know, I'm not hiding anything, but also, I mean, by erasure is mm -hmm. real. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I was in uh, what appeared to be a, a heteronormative relationship at the time, kind of, I, I was worried about, frankly, catching hell from both sides mm -hmm. of the issue. Um, so it was never anything that I made an attempt to hide. Um, but I was worried that I wasn't the right person to be talking about some of those issues. And frankly, I wish that I had done that differently because I've I've heard since then, um, how valuable it is for a lot of LGBTQ kids, bisexual and, and otherwise, um, to, to see someone running and to see someone um, 
not trying to hide their sexuality or anything like that. So, um, you know, I mean, there were photos. I mean, I had posted photos of myself at Pride. Um, yeah. And... I didn't think anything of it because I wasn't living my life any differently than I had been, Mm -hmm. you know, certainly since I came out, but really even before then. And I was a little surprised when there was a, a mailer that came out with a photo of me at pride that again, I myself had posted. So I don't really know (laughs) what they thought they were getting with that. The gotcha moment. Right. Right, Exactly. (laughs) Thank you for taking this photo that I specifically picked because I thought I looked good in it and posted um, but they sent it out, you know, attacking me on uh, not living up to the district's family values and things. So really like dog whistly things. Mm-hmm. Um, my second campaign was much more, the, the gloves were a little bit off. They specifically got a candidate who is uh, against marriage equality and uh, they, you know, tried to go that route. And obviously now I think we all recognize that the attacks against our community have ratcheted up. So it's gotten progressively more and more um, hostile. Mm -hmm. But my, my first, my first campaign, I think they frankly didn't really know what to do because they were having a hard time. Like, well, wait a minute. She, it's that classic, like people who are uncomfortable with the community, I think not understanding, like, my sexuality is not the thing that I wake up thinking about mm-hmm. constantly. So like, sure, you're going to find things out there about me being queer, mm-hmm. but it's not like you found a picture that I posted where I went with my family, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I think they weren't quite sure how to do it. And then, you know, we've seen kind of this national strategy take shape since then. So mm-hmm. they've certainly gotten much more coordinated and frankly, just much more gross about it. Um but I just looked at it as like I was living my life. Yeah. No different than I, I had been. Right. So. Um, but you said, I'm interested, you said that you were fearful of getting attacks on, on both sides. Yeah. Um, so did you, we, we kind of heard about a little bit of, of the attack of kind of like the queer side. Have, have you received attacks about Not your so bisexuality m- or about like your, your sort of your marriage or? I mean, so I'm, this is not a weird thing. We're totally great friends, but I'm I'm not married anymore, mm-hmm. um, which was then like a whole weird thing too, because I think people assumed like, oh, it's because she's not straight. And yeah. I'm like, no, we get divorced too, just for normal reasons. Yeah. Like it's not, whatever. It's not the bottom line. Right, again. exactly. Yeah. Um, but it, attacks are maybe a strong word, but there are certainly people who have said it's actually been more straight Democrats mm-hmm. than, you know, I mean, our That's community, yes, yeah, That's very interesting. Who are like, well, but like, you don't really count, right? Because you do date guys. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I, I'm not having this debate with you. Yeah. Like, um, but fine. Um, I think our community, I mean, when I first came out, uh, there was certainly a lot more, um tension with the community and you know with my my friends and my my chosen family even because um you know if I was dating someone of the same gender great if I wasn't like oh you're you know taking a tour through here or something I'm like no (laughs) trust me it's it's not convenient you guys know this um so like the attacks haven't really there's been side comments here and there, but for the most part, it's really been more 
straight Democrats who are allies, but maybe don't understand as much about our community as we do, obviously. Um, So I think that, you know, I had based that fearfulness on previous interactions I'd had with the community, but it's also been interesting because my, my niece is gay Mm -hmm. and she came out, oh gosh, probably about five years ago now. Um, and she's talked about, she's Gen Z and I am so grateful for Gen Z because like, I talked to her about all this. I'm like, ah, but you know, like maybe I shouldn't be the one introducing this bill Mm -hmm. because I'm not, not a lesbian I'm bi and she's like do you know how ridiculous you sound like (laughs) none of my friends care about any of that because you guys are way more hung up on labels than Mm -hmm. than we are and we just want the bill introduced we don't really care who you're dating or anything like that so I think that it was my fearfulness was based in a moment in time when I came out and there were very big opinions and it's not that there still aren't it's just that like our community is growing Mm -hmm. and the newest and most vocal members of it who advocate the strongest for our causes do not give a damn which letter of the alphabet you fall under Mm -hmm. anymore um and I think that that's been a real uh a wake-up call for me because I think I was worried about things that frankly I I didn't need to be worried about anymore yeah yeah like the divisiveness within the community needs to stop for real and I, and I think you know I don't even think it originates wherever it originates whether it's from inside the community or outside the community it just needs to stop mm-hmm. you know what I mean there needs to be no more gatekeeping yeah we are all queer we are all you know what I mean we're all a part of the same family um so so I totally agree with you and that that gives me hope that, yeah <laughs> that yeah. Gen Z is is pushing the way my uh my mom is a uh an elementary principal um in Warren Consolidated Schools oh, wow. and um you know, we'll, we'll get onto this, but mm-hmm. she's really good friends with the Media Center, who has introduced um, multiple picture books about queer representation and queer uh, uh, education. Um, but she's even told me how, how much she's seen it change since I got out of high school. And I got out of high school maybe four years ago. Um, so she's just seen an, an increase in acceptance by families um an increase in kind of like you said like there are more of us now people are feeling more comfortable um even despite the obstacles and the resistance um but I guess that brings us to our next point um is about kind of the resistance that the Republican opposition has towards queer education in schools um and I don't know about you but when I went to high school, there was no queer education. When I went to when I went to public school period, there was no queer education. Um, you know, and that may have well changed since I've been out. But to me, it just seems like I, I don't understand. I don't understand the battle there. Yeah. Can you can you give a little bit more insight on what you think is going on? So it's shifted over the course of me being elected, right? I think that when I had first come into office we were at this point where I think even opponents of our community, which like, I'm, I'm going to say things like that. And I just want to say now that feels like such a weird thing to say, like opponents of our right to exist right. is a bonkers thing to even say, mm-hmm. but like, I, I, that's the the best way for yeah. me to describe it right now, I guess. 
Um, I mean, it is it is kind of the reality of it, right? Though, right? I mean, it, it's people are resistant to our being. Yes, yes. Um, so even folks that were that far on the, that side of the issue, um, I think had kind of realized like, oh, we've lost this. Like, mm-hmm. it turns out people are not afraid of you know the LGBTQ community, or you know. Turns out they do have rights. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, fine. Um, and it shifted a little bit. And now I don't know if it's because of, you know, the conspiracy theories that we've seen. You know, I mean, I don't know if you remember this whole Pizzagate mm-hmm. thing. Like, mm-hmm. I remember watching that play out in real time and thinking, this is this is gonna get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Um and I think it has, because now there are people that are convinced that, you know, there are, you know, secret cults and they're all, I, I, I don't even really know how to explain it, but it, it has turned into this, like, throwback version of homophobia mm-hmm. from, you know, like the, the 60s and 70s and, and even previous, but we haven't seen it in a while to where, you know, this groomer narrative and mm-hmm. this, this pedophile narrative no one's trying to teach your kids about specific types of sex or right. anything. That's not it. Like, do I think that we need medically accurate and scientifically accurate sex ed in school? Yes. Of course, yeah. But that's not about pushing an agenda. That's just mm-hmm. making sure that kids, you know, know what is going to happen with their bodies and, you know, basic biology. It has nothing to do with sexual orientation or sexual identity, but there's been a complete unwillingness to to understand that and and kind of see the difference but also understand that a lot of kids feel more comfortable being who they are at school and that's not even a an indictment of parents or anything it's just you're around your peers Mm -hmm. you're around uh people who are not i mean teachers are but you know your your classmates aren't authority figures so some of that is organically going to happen there and i think that there there's this push to try and assign that you know some type of it it, is coming from some type of outward force Mm -hmm. you know no one is recruiting children Mm -hmm. to the to the community like that's not i think we're seeing greater numbers of people being out and feeling comfortable be themselves because of the progress that we have made that we are Mm -hmm. trying desperately to cling to right Mm -hmm. now um so i think that there was absolutely a time where we were going to start talking about important historical figures who contributed to the civil rights movement for LGBTQ people, but also just the fact that there are important figures in our history Mm -hmm. who happen to be queer. Mm -hmm. And it's, we, we have gotten to the point now where there are people who don't even want those people discussed because of their personal lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we talked about, it's not even necessarily that being queer was central to the the story of their lives Mm -hmm. and their contributions. I don't think that we need to erase that part, but that's, that's not even the point. Mm -hmm. And I I think that there is just this attempt to completely erase Mm -hmm. the contributions of our community to history and to our own movement. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, the the reasoning they're giving now has to do with this this groomer narrative which is disgusting and dangerous um but i think it's just a throwback to to 
how it was handled before, you know, the last time that we had to fight for our own civil rights. Um, I don't think anyone is actually, well, I shouldn't say that because there are a lot of people who have bought into these conspiracy theories or people who are just unfortunately very bigoted who do think that we are a danger just because of who we are. But I don't think that that's what the people who are orchestrating this mm -hmm. actually think. I think they recognize that it worked before mm -hmm. and they were able to stifle our rights and our progress as a community. And they're just kind of going back to what worked before. Mm -hmm. It's... I mean, as queer people, we hear that narrative all the time—the groomer narrative, yeah. the the pedophile narrative—and um, you know, I need to I need to look more into it. But Senator McMurrow was attacked, I think, last year with kind of similar rhetoric. Um, have you ever been? Have you ever received anything from colleagues in the House or or constituents or, or whoever? Have you ever? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if you, <laughs> you pull up my Twitter right now, actually, it's going on because I gave a speech on the floor the other night mm -hmm. that people are up in arms about. Um, the one that you, you posted, people mm -hmm. are, well, that makes sense that people are up in arms. Exactly, about it, but. exactly. Um, but yeah, and in fact, what's, this is not to, to malign Senator McMorrow because I am grateful that she spoke up and I am grateful that she got this message out and that she is using the platform that resulted from that um to help the cause truly mm -hmm. but what was a little kind of like a light bulb moment uh is what was said about her had been being said mm -hmm. about you know myself and senator moss mm -hmm. who is a, the first openly gay state senator in michigan um and we had been flagging it and, you know, I mean, people would see it. Like you said, you can't, if you look at our social media, you, you see it. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, the, the best messenger for people to realize what a threat that is and how unacceptable that behavior is came from a cishet mm -hmm. suburban mom, mm -hmm. um, which, again, like, I am grateful that we have a messenger for it and that, you know, this is she was able to stand up and say that this is unacceptable, but it was kind of a, a wake up call to realize that, oh, but wait, the actual queer people who have been dealing with these attacks for quite some time have been saying it. And you're and, not being heard. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and we aren't being heard. So, okay, at least the message is out and at least people are realizing, oh, this is gross. This is dangerous. This is unacceptable. Fine. Um, but no, I mean, we've definitely, uh, you know, I mean, I've had virtual coffee hours sidetracked because people wanted to talk about you know me being a, a groomer or a pedophile or just you know I'm not voting for you because you're a lesbian and mm -hmm. I'm like well okay yeah, fine, first of I guess. All, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we're not even gonna go into that buddy but like okay I don't think I don't think yeah. correcting you is gonna change your mind so yeah. that's fine but no uh I mean we've gotten it a lot and uh I imagine that I mean not imagine I I know because uh so John Hoadley was an openly gay uh, representative in my first term. Um, and when he ran for Congress against Fred Upton, that was their attack against him, that he was a pedophile. And like, they found like old live journal things and took it all out of context and stuff like that. And, uh, did really heinous, truly homophobic things that are, you know, now commonplace, you know, mm -hmm. when we first saw that I was horrified and I was shocked because like, I knew that people were still homophobic. I knew they said things about, you know, the out members, but to just see it 
mailed to the entire congressional district accusing him of these things that were not true and were disgusting and defamatory. That's yeah. what I was about to say. Is it like, is that not defamation? Like, could he not? It's hard. Uh, there's like this, there's a separate standard for political candidates and political figures. Okay. Um, so the media can't do it, but it's right. your opponent. Right. No, exactly. I mean, I've had some of the attack mail that's been sent out about me has been like, this is factually inaccurate. Like even things as simple as my voting record, mm -hmm. like that's public information. I can literally pull it up and there's not much that can even be done about it because they will find some way to spin it for, for why it's okay or why it's appropriate or, you know, like the cost associated with it. Like, it's just, it, it's frustrating. And in some ways it's, it's deeply unsettling that we're living in a world now where someone can accuse a political opponent of, you know, truly one of the, like the, the worst crimes out there mm -hmm. is like pedophilia and there's not much you can do about it. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So, um, I mean, how does that, you know, and I've, I've expect, I expect that you've heard sort of similar rhetoric from colleagues. How does that influence your stance on bipartisanship? Because that's got to be hard when people are invalidating your being. And then you want to do what's right for your constituents. You want to do what's right for your districts. You are the representative. You want to vote. You know what I mean? Like, how does that, how does that influence you? It's hard. Um, you know, there are some people who, and I, for the record, I don't know which one of these is more frustrating slash hurtful, and it might depend on the day. Mm -hmm. There are members on the Republican side of the aisle that I work really, really well with. I have friendly interactions, you know, with, um, you know, text asking about their family and stuff like that, mm -hmm. that will consistently vote against my rights. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think they even mean it. I think they are going along to get along. And there has to be like a a bifurcation there with me, right? Like these are mm -hmm. people that I don't think are actually bad people. They take bad votes. And I don't think that actually makes it any better, but it's just how I kind of have to compartmentalize it. Yeah. That being said, there are other members who are just true believers and mm -hmm. don't think that I should have rights and will, you know, uh, get on Twitter and, and talk about how the whole community is, you know, full of pedophiles and looking to maim children and things like that. And I just, at least right now, like the, the couple that I'm thinking of are kind of objectionable people anyway. They're mm -hmm. not people who would really want to work with me and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to be able to live with myself for the rest of my life. So I just choose to not associate with those people. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there are compromises that I can make if I, you know, for, for the job that I'm doing and for the, the important work that needs to get done and has to be done in a bipartisan manner. There are things that I can choose to um, look away from when I need to, but there are also some people that just their behavior is so beyond the pale that that's not possible. Yeah. I mean, do you think straight members of the House and of, of the Michigan legislature think about these things too? They have to navigate their vote based on how other members, how other colleagues, like almost invalidate that. Like, right. I, that's, that's something I don't think. Right. I don't know. And I'm trying to think, like, I think I would imagine that there are some comparable issues for mm -hmm. some members, right? You know, we have uh, in, in the Democratic caucus, we have. A, a, like historically diverse caucus. Mm -hmm. I think uh, this term we had 
the highest uh, number of elected people of color that we've ever had, I believe, uh, was this term. So I know for a fact, you know, when we have people over on the other side of the aisle railing against CRT and railing against accurate history, Mm -hmm. they know that. It, it, they they have a similar fight that that yeah. I do, yeah. um, you know. And in fact, not this last session we had we had uh, like an all night session at the end of June, mm-hmm. um, and I had we knew it was going to be an all day thing, so we had we went at ease, and I went outside, and I realized that there was uh, Tudor Dixon's press conference, like her first one about oh like. Uh, I think it was drag queens and like, you know, pedophiles in schools. And it it just, it it was like the first anti-LGBTQ press conference she had. Mm -hmm. And I look over and a bunch of my colleagues that I am going to be spending the rest of the day on the floor with are standing there supporting her. And it kind of like, it flustered me and I went and did what I had to do, came back. And then later that night at like, two in the morning probably (laughs) Um, we were there really late I had tried to introduce an amendment to tie bar the expansion of the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act Mm -hmm. to a bill that we were voting on and we knew it wasn't going to pass but I was going to speak to it Mm -hmm. and I had said that I you know this is important to me as a bisexual woman and they gaveled me down because I said that I was bisexual and I was like weird choice but Mm -hmm. okay uh and like I've watched the video since uh because I got very upset and it was embarrassing so like I went back to watch it and see if it was like as bad as I thought it was um and I like I got kind of flustered and confused because I was like wait I can't say that Mm -hmm. okay um and I was talking I was like okay well you know this is important because we've seen increased violence against the community Two days ago, there was a pride flag that was set on fire in the middle of Michigan Avenue, straight down the street from the Capitol. And they gaveled me and they cut off my microphone and wouldn't let me talk anymore. And I I think like all of the tension and anger and sadness, frankly, from like having to deal with this all day and walking past that God awful press conference mm-hmm. with some people that frankly surprised me that they were even out there participating bubbled up in me and I went and sat down in my chair and I just started sobbing Mm -hmm. and my seatmate uh Stephanie Young who is a pastor and one of the truly like kindest people I know is a black woman Mm -hmm. and she looked at me and she was like she had tears in her eyes and she went you okay and I was like I'm so embarrassed but I'm so tired of this like I just these people are awful and I had to I had to walk past that awful press conference and she went it's okay to know when you've hit your wall. Mm -hmm. You know, I had, I was trying to do this book club and it was right after George Floyd was murdered. And there were these people who just were not understanding why I was upset and why I was sad and why I was mourning. And I hit my wall. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know that even if it is happening on this floor in this public setting, it is okay to hit your wall. Mm -hmm. So I know that all of that is to say, I know there are other members because their communities have also faced oppression Mm -hmm. and are facing oppression currently. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that there are some that understand that, but I also know that there are others that simply do not. And that this is just a vote going up on the board. Yeah. And, you know, it's a, 
it's a partisan thing. It's going to be on an attack mailer and we need to deal with that, not mm -hmm. deal with the, not examine, I guess, the practical implications for people, including some of those who you work with, yeah. you know, it's just, I, so, some of them, I think understand it. Others, I, I don't think do. Yeah. It, I mean, we've seen with all this polarization that, that can't help you. you right. know what I mean? Like that, I, I think we're seeing right now a failure in government because of, of polarization. And, um, you know, if my personal thing is, it's not the Democrats' fault. Democrats are willing to co corroborate, um, but Republicans just won't back down on some of these fundamental issues. Um, and that brings me to my next point, which I'm, I'm sure you've heard of before, but um, Senator Moss introduced a bill um, to reaffirm uh, the state's recognition of, of June as Pride Month. Mm -hmm. And um, to my knowledge right now, it, it has not been passed. Um, so this year, uh, no, in the Senate, it didn't pass. In the House, we actually got a Pride Week. Okay. And that was a whole process. Damn, yeah. uh, but the year before, uh, both Senator Moss, over in the Senate and in the House, we got a Pride Month resolution, which was a whole other uh, background story yeah. as well, because yeah. um, I had actually introduced it, and oh, okay. I was told that they would pass it, but not if my name was on it. So someone else introduced it, but it passed, mm -hmm. and that was truly one of those things, because that was the first time we had gotten it done, and, and to be clear, we would not have gotten it through the House if Senator Moss hadn't gotten it through the Senate. Mm -hmm. So like, he gets all of the credit for negotiating that and sticking with it. And in fact, I think he deserves even more credit because the reason it did not happen in the Senate this time mm -hmm. is because they wanted to put in really heinous language that completely invalidated the entire thing. Mm -hmm. And he stuck by it and said, that's insulting mm -hmm. and we're not doing it. I would rather not do it at all and tell everybody why we don't have it mm -hmm. than to let that go in. Exactly. That, yeah. exactly. I actually have that quote right here the the revisions that he wanted to make i think it was the senate majority leader um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he writes though not every citizen in michigan agrees with the lifestyle of, of the lgbt community it is agreed that every life is special precious unique and loved by the creator each person is created in god's image um i read that you have gone to catholic school yeah how how does that make you feel you know i don't know i don't know your relationship with spirituality but how do, how does that make you feel how does that sort of statement with that kind of rhetoric the religious rhetoric how does that make you feel i mean it's it's tough right because like mm -hmm. you said i went to catholic school for 12 years i spent all of that time uh not having come out yet but knowing right because mm -hmm. we all know um yeah. yep and being told that who I was was wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not only was it wrong, it was a sin. It was, yeah. you know, I had, I think, one teacher who I do not know how she stayed employed <laughs> at that <laughs> Catholic school, um, but would talk to us about actual like social justice issues. And like she was the first person that talked to us about systemic racism mm -hmm. and homophobia and things like that. And it was wonderful to hear that, but I also knew you were the outlier mm -hmm. and this is still something that this organization thinks is wrong and thinks is, you know, like a mortal sin. Like I'm going to go to hell for how I feel and, yeah. and who I love. 
Um, so it's just, it, it was a slap in the face mm-hmm. and understanding, you know, that I am by far the only queer person who has that experience and has mm-hmm. dealt with that type of religious trauma before. Um, again, I give Jeremy all the credit in the world for not just taking the easy route and saying, well, sure, we can have it, I guess. Maybe no one will understand it. Like understanding it is better to have nothing at all mm-hmm. than something that is going to undercut who we are mm-hmm. and what we have fought for. Um, and I just, I, I was so enraged for it. When he called and told me that this is what they wanted to put in there, I was so enraged for him mm-hmm. because, I mean, I I obviously felt like a very personal way about it, but I wasn't the one having to sit there and be told by Mike Shirky, like, this is a fine compromise. Yeah. What do you mean? What's wrong with it? I think he actually told Jeremy, like, I worked very hard on this. And Jeremy went, I believe that you did. Yeah. It's wasted work. Mm-hmm. It's unacceptable. So, oh, well. And- Mike Shirley was the same person who passed who passed it last year, right? Or who he mm-hmm. was a Republican majority last year. Yeah. Do you think because it's the election year, that's why things have changed, or what? Like, what has changed? I, well, that was that was Jeremy's thing. It, we both introduced the exact same resolution that had passed the year before. Um. So yeah, I think it being an election year, I think the hostile and hateful and dangerous rhetoric around the LGBTQ community. Uh, was something that emboldened Mike Shirky mm-hmm. to do this. I, I, yeah, I think all of that is probably a contributing factor for why he decided to just let it roll this year with this nonsense trying to trying to be put in there. It is. If, if we expect one, you know, we expect a few things from our politicians, transparency and consistency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure his constituents don't care that he was inconsistent in that way when he first passed it did did he come under any fire from the republican side or not really um i mean not that not that i recall i think he even had a republican co-sponsor or two maybe on it um no not not really and in fact i i think that the the house republicans if anything were more irritated because they were planning on just ignoring my resolution Mm -hmm. And then Jeremy introduced it and it got passed, which meant that the Senate Republicans had agreed to pass it, but yeah. had not communicated to the House about it. And they were like, well, now we look like extra bigots if mm-hmm. we don't do it. So that was how the conversation took place that we'll pass it, but it can't have your name on it. Uh, so Tim Sneller, who is also an out member mm-hmm. in the House, uh, put his name on it and introduced it and we got it done. Um, but yeah, it just, it, yeah, I I, I don't understand. I, I'm with you. It didn't seem like it was a, a big controversial thing last year. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why uh, Mike Shirky had to go and try to have it his way this yeah. time. I don't. It, yeah, I don't, I don't understand it. But, um, you know, like you said, House Republicans, before they knew that the Senate had passed it, they were just going to ignore you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because of the makeup of the legislature right now. The Senate and the House are both Republican majority. They are. Narrowly, um, but they are. And this year, we have the luxury of new districts. Yes. Redistricted by the Independent Citizens Commission. Mm-hmm. Um, it, how are you feeling about the, the midterm elections? Do you think 
that because I hear I hear all the buzz mm -hmm. and the are, are gonna flip it and I fingers crossed I'm out canvassing we're about to do this how do you feel about the the midterm elections and what do you think are some of the biggest things that people can do to contribute sure uh I feel really well actually mm -hmm. um today I was out knocking uh for Reggie Miller okay. um and we are having positive conversations with people in areas where we historically have never had a shot. And I think that between redistricting and, you know, with things like Prop 2 and 3, uh, bringing people out to the polls, mm -hmm. I think that we are going to, I think we have the, our, our best shot that we've had in a very, very long time. But that being said, I don't want us to get complacent because mm -hmm. I think in 2018, and we did really, really well in 2018, we flipped mm -hmm. a lot of seats. Um, but in 2018, we thought that it being the first midterm election post Donald Trump's election, uh, we were going to take everything over and we did really, really well, but we didn't quite get there. 2020, I think that we thought because Donald Trump was on the ballot again, there'd be this huge blue wave mm -hmm. and there was, but there was an equally powerful red wave mm -hmm. and, you know, in the house we broke even. So yeah, I, I think that we always think that there's going to be this extra factor that is going to save us. And I think that this is probably our best shot, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean we can get complacent mm -hmm. or let our foot off the pedal. So I know you and I, uh, before we started recording, we're talking about canvassing. Mm -hmm. Honestly, if it is something you feel comfortable doing, I think that is the most powerful thing that we can be doing right now. Mm -hmm. uh, both of my general elections, I won by less than 250 votes, which means every single conversation that I or a volunteer had on doors made an impact. Mm -hmm. um, I promise it is not as scary as it sometimes sounds. It's it's actually kind of interesting because you get to talk to people about things that uh, you don't get to talk to people about a lot. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's measurable progress. So canvassing, um, finding other ways that you can donate your time. Uh, if folks have money, that's cool. But, you know, I know that, you know, not a lot of us have a lot of disposable income. So yeah. uh, your time is just as valuable, if not more valuable. So, you know, phone banking, uh, canvassing, some folks do postcards. That's really helpful sometimes too. Like getting a handwritten postcard versus a, a pre-printed mailer can make a lot of difference to some people. So uh, just reaching out to campaigns near you that might need help yeah. is yeah. really, really helpful. What are, um, I remember hearing that there are, there are four kind of battleground districts. Um, could you kind of just like deny or confirm what those districts are and maybe where people should be kind of centering some of the attention towards? Sure. So in the Senate, we have offhand, I'm thinking of three uh, like battleground districts. There's a Grand Rapids seat out in Kent County uh, where David LeGrand is running. There's a St. Clair County or Shores uh, district where Kevin Hertel is running. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, Padma Koopa is running out in the like Troy, Clawson, uh, Oakland County area. In the House, we have a handful of them. Yeah. Like there's 110 House members, so we have a lot more. Um, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure. We we can yeah. pick our path to majority, sort of. Uh, so Matt Colzar in uh, Plymouth, his areas: Plymouth, Livonia, Northville. Um, yeah, I think those are all of it's in his district. Uh, that's a, a really pivotal seat. Alex Garza downriver, so uh, the the Taylor and uh, other surrounding downriver communities area. 
uh, Reggie Miller in, you know, Belleville is a, a really great candidate. Jennifer Conlon out in Brighton is, is really great. Uh, Angela Whitwer in Delta County uh, and like the surrounding communities is a, a tough seat. Nate Shannon out in Macomb County. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more in the house. Yeah. Um, John Fitzgerald, Joey Andrews over on the west side of the state, Betsy Kofia up in Traverse City is doing an amazing job and mm-hmm. just giving Jack O'Malley a, a run for his money right now. So there's a lot of different places where you can invest your time if uh, you have it available and we would be very appreciative of it. Yeah, well, um, tomorrow is the beginning of GOTV, right? I mean, basically, yeah, because absentee ballots have really shifted that whole thing post 2018. Uh, being able to do no reason, abs- reason absentee is a fantastic thing, and I'm so grateful we did it. But yeah, it means that GOTV really starts as soon as those ballots go out versus, mm-hmm. you know, like the week leading up to the actual election. It, it's yep. really drawn it out. So yeah. Well, um, you know, I want to thank you for, for coming on the show with us um, and talking with me about your experiences um, and how people can better contribute to the midterm elections this November. Um, you know, as always, um, we love you. We support you. <laughs> you guys are amazing. You are you are awesome. Um, you know, the little side thing. My roommate and I talk about you all. <laughs> like we we absolutely love you. My my roommate will be like, oh, how's like how's Lori doing? Because she knows that I'm I'm into you, oh. and um, or they they know I'm into you, and um be like oh my god like last night I saw your you posted that speech <laughs> I was like you gotta watch this you gotta watch this like isn't this so good um so so keep on keeping on I appreciate, we, we appreciate you best of luck in the in the November election thank you thank um, you and you you can get it done awesome thank you thank you for everything you're doing well that wraps up our first episode of political inquiry Tune in next week for our interview with Michigan's first openly gay state senator, Jeremy Moss, about the resurging attacks on queer folk within the Michigan legislature. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share us on your social medias and with your friends and family. You can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at inquirypod. Thank you for listening.